Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news of the week. I'm Editor-in-Chief Drew Cherry, and I am joined today by John Fiorillo, Executive Editor, and Rachel Mutter, Editor over there in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, we are all in our home offices, still, and may be here for a long time to come. Uh, coronavirus just is uh, overshadowing everything we do. Uh, almost every story that we write, it seems, has um, a coronavirus somehow uh, hovering over it. However, we will today, uh, toward the end of the podcast, try to focus on some news that was non-coronavirus related, uh, which will give maybe everybody a little bit of a respite. But we cannot avoid the topic um, to, to, uh, to kick off the podcast today. Um, so... Uh, we're going to start off a bit with um, the, the Boston show, uh, John, just really quickly telling people um, what we uh, know about the show dates and uh, maybe some speculation about whether or not those show dates will actually happen. So they announced uh, a little earlier this afternoon that they will indeed go ahead with the Boston Seafood Show. Um and schedule it, scheduled it for September 23rd and 24th, so a two-day show versus the traditional three-day, but it will be located at the uh, Boston Convention and Exhibit Center, uh, as it normally is. However, news came out today that that facility uh, could be turned into a field hospital to deal with um, corona virus situation. So um, that's kind of weird. Um, you know, I don't, so, I don't so, know sorry, really John. what to think about that. What? Hang on. So, okay. So the convention center is being turned into a hospital to treat coronavirus cases now or shortly. And then in September, just a few short months away, you're all going to go into it and hold a food show. That to me seems insane. Yeah, and I, I don't know if the event center will become an overflow hospital for patients that don't have corona, so it would free up hospital space um, in traditional hospitals for the corona uh, virus um, patients, or if it is going to be used to treat corona. Uh, but either way, it's going to turn into a field hospital. What do you think? Are we back on a normal? Does it feel like things are back to normal enough in September where we we at least are moving on with our normal show, travel, kind of some of the no. regular business stuff? No? No. No way. Absolutely no way. I mean, I hate to be a purveyor of doom, but no, in my mind, this isn't even this hasn't even started yet, like, <laughs> especially in the US, you know, I don't want to fill you guys with fear, but it, I think this is going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. And getting back to normal, I think, is it's I, I don't know, in my mind, it's it's a good year away, if not more. But, you know, maybe I, maybe I'm wrong. No one really knows. But I, I think September dates for a seafood trade show where people are getting on planes and having their food delivered, I, to me, that's absolutely impossible. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I'm kind of in Rachel's boat here. I mean, if we look at the outbreak in China started in December, okay, uh, things are not back to normal in China. And that's 
three uh, to some vets three months at least, and they're nowhere close to being back to normal. So we can project out from here how long the U.S. is going to uh, take if we follow China's path, which, you know, more than likely we will or it might be worse. So, you know, that puts us well into summer, late summer. I, I don't see it. And I got to say, first of all, companies are going to be reeling financially from um, all the all the challenges they're already facing. Some probably won't even be here by September. Um, so the fact that there's going to be all this energy to, like Rachel said, jump on planes and fly and get in a room with 10 or 20,000 other human beings. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't sitting here today. I, I don't see it. So fundamentally, I mean, if that doesn't happen, uh, and I think we hit on this a little bit, and certainly I think both of you hit on this in columns. I mean, does this fundamentally, does it seem like we are going to be changing the way that um, that people do uh, do business? Um, do we see sort of, I mean, we've, we've, you know, you can read out there some of the uh, media publications that, um, that we kind of keep track of that some people are saying this is sort of the death knell for the major trade shows. Um, and I don't know if that's true, but what, what do you two think about whether or not the trade shows as we know it will, will go on? It's, it's hard to say, isn't it? Because they hold a lot of value in terms of meeting people face to face and you know, and I think people want that, but I do feel like this pandemic um, is going to create fundamental change in our lives, you know, and I, I think it's going to be something that in itself goes on for a long time. Um, and then afterwards, I think, yeah, I think we will have reshaped, we would have been forced to reshape the way we do things during this period. And I think those, a lot of those things are going to stick with us. Um, and I think certainly trade shows are going to come out badly from it because people in this next year, in my view, it was what is going to be at least another year of people having to find other ways to try and connect um, with clients, with with consumers. Um, they're going to have to do it if they want to survive. And then if they've invested time and money in those new methods and probably discover they're quite effective. Why Why would they go back to, to the old ways? That's not to say I don't think trade shows will happen, but I think they will be smaller, more targeted, um, more local, perhaps. I don't know, John, what do you think? Well, um, I, I think the show will go on, so to speak. Um, but I agree, I think it will change. And, you know, the last thing you really want to do, uh, if you're the show organizer, is give all your exhibitors a long time to pause and think about why they do the show every year and that's that's what's happening right now uh, of course it's under dire circumstances with the virus but nonetheless everybody is eventually going to regroup and say oh why are we why do we do the show every year and like you said maybe they found alternative means of connecting with their supply chain and Maybe they don't feel they need to go. I don't I don't really know. I mean, I think, you know, I think people still want to meet, especially in this industry, which is such a relationship industry. But it, it it's hard to feel sit here and feel that something won't change about that show, whether 
it gets smaller two days instead of three or, you know, something like that. I, I don't know. So let's switch gears and talk a little bit about um, on the other side of all this when when recovery uh, happens, which some economists are predicting we're, we're talking three years uh, to get uh, recovered from all this because we uh, are in a, uh, a self-induced coma in the United States and in some other markets, um, the, the, the economy is. And for seafood in particular, it has hit a heavy wall uh, on the food service side. Um, but retail is at least on a temporary basis for now, or maybe it'll be permanent, but at least in the short run, retail sales have been through the roof. Um, so there will be survivors. There will be people on the other side of this that, um, that come out stronger and there will be some people that won't, that won't make it. Um, Rachel, you did a story on how the Chinese government has helped its, its, uh, aquaculture producers recover. Are there any lessons there that the rest of the world, uh, might learn in terms of how a stimulus package might help, uh, seafood industries recover? Yeah, definitely. I think what's happened in China has been quite interesting. I think from, well, I don't know if from the start that's up for debate, but um, certainly once uh, the outbreak sort of became publicly known about, the Chinese government have really taken some pretty severe measures, both in terms of lockdown, um, which has has served them well, um, but also in terms of sort of thinking about how to look after their uh, economy and their businesses and inevitably the aquaculture industry is something that is hugely impacted being sort of the the top of a supply chain um it was massively impacted by the coronavirus outbreak or it it had the potential to be so um and particularly the shrimp industry in china because shrimp is largely eaten in china in food service outlets um the tilapia industry was doing a bit better because people will buy that and eat it at home um, but shrimp, shrimp less so. So the Chinese government have been running um, a stimulus package um, for a couple of months now, I believe, which is paying um, processors and cold storage facilities to buy shrimp from farmers and to hold it where they can. So, that, so they're paying per metric ton of storage that these that these processors and, and cold storage facilities are using for this product. So. It, it's been a good thing. It's been slightly more creative than maybe what's happening in other countries where it seems to just be sort of a bailout package. Um, in the US, I think that's the case where they sort of just set aside funds that they'll just give to companies that um, are suffering a deficit of, of, of turnover, which will be the majority of the industry, I would have thought. Um, so this was a bit more creative. It was, you know, it was upholding the supply chain, which was really important. Um, and it so far seems to be working, taking effect. So obviously there's only so much cold storage, um, but the shrimp and the tilapia has been being bought, which means that the farmers have been restocking because that's the period they're in now. So they have that confidence to restock because they know people um, will buy the shrimp. And as the market picks up, um, prices are picking up and and volumes are being sold. So it's interesting how they sort of held off a disaster because we all know that if you if your if your agriculture if your production industries crash then you they bring a lockdown with them um so that was quite an interesting thing to yeah to find out about well yeah i think in the in the us industry the bailout package that was put together um number 1 is going to be woefully 
uh, woefully insignificant uh, for the the broader seafood industry. So uh, by the time that's dispersed uh, throughout Alaska and throughout all the other uh, states and industries, there's not a whole lot actually. Um, so it's, it's, uh, helpful in the sense that there is some, some funds, uh, earmarked there. Um, but then getting a hold of those funds and how it gets to the right people, um, boy, then you get into, um, a lot of political jockeying and it'll be the same, um, I expect in the UK, uh, and then in the EU as well. Um, and this, this goes to the, one of the, one of the weaknesses of the seafood industry, um, is overcapacity, and there's a lot of people that work in this industry, a lot of processing companies, a lot of processing workers, a lot of small-scale fishermen. It is going to be very difficult for those uh, people to survive, and uh, I think that even with these uh, stimulus, stimuli, stimuli, even with these stimulus bills, um, it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough for people to pay their bills, and so you're you're going to see a dropout of a lot of people from this from the sector, particularly on the small scale fishing side. So, um, China's strategy is interesting. It works, you know, well when you have a pri- you know, you have such a a, a, um, a confluence of of uh, aquaculture production, um, like you have uh, in China, which is unique. Um, but, but it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how other countries handle it. And right now, at least in the U S it's very haphazard and it's very unclear how to get everything from unemployment benefits to, uh, you know, to groceries really. As I promised, we will pivot a bit away from coronavirus best that we can, um, and talk about some other news, uh, this week that was non-coronavirus, um, uh, and and there was some, believe it or not. But one of the ones that was interesting, Rachel, uh, was Gwalion Aquatic, uh, the massive shrimp farmer, um, planning a, a huge, huge offshore project, uh, $280 million that are going to go into this offshore project. Um, so what is the, what is the project? We don't know too much about it, but You've written about offshore uh, production in China, um, and and know uh, some of the uh, some of the salmon farming plants in the, in that country. So, what's your guess on offshore aquaculture in China, and is it going to sort of fill this massive void that uh, maybe the West isn't able to fill with uh, protein long term? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, this is sort of the the well. There's a few. There's a few of them now. There's a few offshore projects going on, and some of them are. Some of them are, are salmon production, um, and and others are sort of more local Chinese species, but but on a massive scale. Obviously, everything that's done in China is, tends to be on a huge scale. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I think China has a policy of um, feeding itself. It doesn't want to rely on anyone else. And since it became like a net importer of seafood, you've seen some really massive investment in making sure that it has enough seafood for its own market. And, and within that, there will be overflow, obviously, but they're sort of looking more towards, I think now, Southeast Asia and Japan, um, supplying places like that with product as those as those countries, well, obviously Japan is obviously already a wealthy country, but as Southeast Asia becomes um, increasingly well off, well, I say that it was, but then coronavirus hit. So let's see, that's a different topic. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, China, 
China can do anything it puts its mind to, as far as I can tell. So when it decides to invest 280 million in an offshore agriculture project, it will probably go pretty well. These things are generally government incentivized as well. Um, the government always tends to get involved, especially when it comes to food production and aquaculture is one of their big focuses. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. And, and I think projects like this are more likely to be successful in a country like China than they are anywhere else um, because they they tend to have the funding and they have the they have the market and it's a it's a growing market especially for for more expensive species these days so yeah it's an interesting one to watch well i think it's going to be interesting in general to see uh these high uh high capex projects like that um and and land-based uh salmon farming land-based aquaculture in general what uh, what appetite there'll be for investors to finance this. Obviously, with the Chinese government backing a project like this, like you said, if the Chinese government wants something to happen, they can make it happen. They can make it happen quickly. And they can overnight, essentially, uh, create a, an entire new industry. So that is, I think we're just seeing the first of many of these types of projects. There's been some that have just kind of come out of the woodwork. Um, and, and, um, yeah, clearly the government has its eye on, on that. Um, but okay. Other projects, um, Rachel, you uh, mentioned earlier that, uh, sea farms group, um, is having some, um, some cash crunch a bit and, um, you know, and salmon evolution recently uh, got through a fundraise, um, that didn't quite meet what they were after. Um, and so I'm just curious too, in, from from both of you, but Rachel, maybe you can start. Whether or not you think that we're going to see a slowdown or a full stop on some of this, um, some of this this money that's been going into to innovative, um, kind of exciting projects like these. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. I think I think these two stories we we wrote this week on Salmon Evolution and and Sea Farms, which is the company behind uh, Project Sea Dragon, which is a huge. Um, land-based shrimp farm in Australia. Um, yeah, it's been interesting. They both had fundraising um, projects on the go, but one of them, well, Salmon Evolution didn't meet, it came in sort of low on what it had expected to get. Um, and then Sea Farms sort of had to get a, an emergency cash injection from one of, the, one of the directors, which doesn't sound particularly great. Yeah, so I think cash flow is an issue and it's going to be an issue for as long as this climate last this climate of coronavirus and inevitable um huge downturn in the economy one of the one of the analysts that my colleague Anders spoke to this week um put it well when he he said who wants to you know these land-based projects obviously have been very exciting but suddenly in this environment does anyone actually want to invest in something so risky um you know people want to go back to basics at this point and, and invest in things that are the safe and fundamental um, and I'm not sure land-based aquaculture fits that bill. Um, so yeah, I don't know. This this could be this could be bad times for for these sort of innovative projects in aquaculture right now. I, I agree. I think there's a pause at the very least. But <clears throat> the smart money uh, investment-wise in seafood may end up going into buying the the weak that uh, come out of this coronavirus um, chaos. So, you know, there's no doubt there will be a lot of weak and failing seafood companies as a result of this. So if you're looking to, you know, snap up a few of these, consolidate your 
your operations a little bit, that that may be where the money heads um, in the shorter term, as opposed to like um, yeah, the the innovative ones that are a little more uh, out there for the moment. I think it has to do with the appetite that investors in these projects had from the outset. And if it was people that maybe weren't fully convinced or fully, maybe they just got excited by the idea um, and they weren't fully aware of what some of the drivers are, then I think you're right, Rachel, that you might see people sort of backing off and saying, oof, you know, this may not be, maybe I should be putting my, my money in, in uh, more secure places right now. Um, but then again, if some of these projects are financed by, uh, very wealthy, uh, individuals and funds that, um, that, you know, they, they're in it for the long haul and, um, they're not going anywhere because they believe in it, not because they sort of are are in it on a lark. Um, so yeah, so I think that is going to be, uh, something interesting and we'll, we'll be looking into that and whether or not, um, whether or not we we can see a, a decline in some of these projects, we've heard of a couple uh, outside of uh, of what you uh, mentioned, Rachel. These two that you mentioned, um, where there's some real questions about whether or not now they're going to be able to finance uh, these projects, especially projects that were in early stage investments. So um, yeah, so it is going to be interesting. So speaking of early stage, speaking of um, emerging technologies. Uh, we had a couple of uh, interesting bits of news on the plant-based seafood side of things. Uh, John, you've been writing a lot about uh, plant-based seafood. In fact, you just wrote a report on plant-based seafood. Um, and uh, we saw Jen Tharp, the CEO of Bumblebee uh, Seafoods, joining Goodcatch, uh, which is a plant-based tuna producer. And suddenly, I think it was you that predicted uh, maybe a few months ago that we'll see uh, kind of, if you can't beat them, join them sort of attitude from seafood companies. And it sounds indeed like we're having some um, some uh, change of heart, maybe. Yeah, I definitely think we're having some change of heart. I mean, the fact that Bumblebee just uh, a couple weeks ago invested um, in Good Catch uh, through a joint venture to basically market their um, plant-based seafood products is is fairly significant and then to see jan uh move over as or join as uh, a member of the board of of um good catch or yeah good catch sorry is uh is even more evidence of uh how this new sector is developing so uh yeah i and we have to also point out that trident um, quietly uh, last month launched a line of uh, meat alternatives um, made from Pollock. So you have to wrap your head around this a little bit. Uh, when you think of uh, Beyond Burgers and the Impossible Burgers and all that, um, they're doing something similar, only making burger patties and breakfast patties and those types of things out of Pollock, and these are not going to live in the seafood case. They're going to live in the beef case with these other alternatives uh, to traditional um, land-grown beef. So kind of interesting. Um, they were going to introduce it at the Natural Products Expo West uh, in March, but that got canceled, as so many other shows did. So 
Not really sure what to think about this quite yet. It seems um, seems creative, but uh, not sure if um, I just I just don't know. So yeah, it's a little unclear, sort of what Trident's strategy is going to be for the launch of this and how um, they weren't too willing to talk about when they are, um, going to kind of retool this launch or really what they have planned for it. They've alluded to it for quite some time. Um, I think having another vehicle for, for Pollock, uh, is great. And, uh, and I applaud any kind of, uh, new product development that can, can try to extend seafood's reach into a different category. So I think that's interesting. Will it be successful? Um, I don't know. Um, I think you pointed out, John, that the alternative protein category uh, succeeds a lot because of vegetarians, and uh, and I guess in some case some of this uh, some of it's vegan. Um, so that is already you're sort of losing a slice of potential consumers there with a product like this. Uh, but that said, I think that uh, I think that it'll be uh, anybody's guess how people um, take to it. I think they can be at least feel fortunate that it's a retail product <laughs> in this climate, um, and maybe the focus on uh, on the retail segment um, for consumers in the United States and around the world uh, can help push a new product launch or. Uh, do things go the other way and people kind of move more toward, uh, toward comfort foods? Um, there's been some reports that uh, Costco, uh, actually Trident products, uh, uh, their fish fingers, for example, um, have been flying off the shelves at Costco. Um, you've been seeing that around the world. In Germany, there's been reports that uh, retail sales are up for fish fingers, for frozen fish um, in the UK, everywhere. So it may be that sort of more traditional products like frozen fish, like tuna, are the ones that kind of win in this new sort of uh, climate of folks kind of hunkering down. Maybe it's sort of a back-to-basics time. I don't know. Rachel, what do you think? I mean, yeah, I think it's a – I actually think it's a good idea, which is sort of unusual for me probably. Um, (laughs) But I – yeah, it's a little bit of creativity, and it's from what I've seen of it, it's really nicely branded and packaged. And I think rather than sort of what a lot of the industry is doing, sort of complaining about um, this sort of meat alternatives industry creeping up and biting them in the in the in the backside, um, Trident have actually done something to sort of compete in that arena. And sure, it's not vegetarian or vegan, but it is pescatarian, which is also sort of a growing a growing segment. Um, you know, and seafood companies should be promoting pescatarianism. So, yeah, I, I kind of like the idea. I thought the products looked good. I wouldn't mind trying them, personally. Well, let's see. If- this coming from you, who wrote... I know! <laughs> who wrote know. a column about how the seafood industry <laughs> hides the fact that they're selling seafood. I know, I know. I realize I'm totally contradicting myself, which, you know, but I have a right to do that. I can do that. Well, I, I just like that it's, it's, it's innovative. It's a bit different. Um, and I think the seafood industry sort of needs that. It needs that modernization and creativity. So if it comes in, in, in this form, um, then so be it. No, I kind of like it. Different is good. If it belly flops, uh, hey, you know, it's it's trying something different. And there's certainly not enough of, of that. So regardless of how it goes, I say, uh, great, new products, bring them on. The seafood industry needs it.
Well, we're going to leave it there, folks. Thanks for joining us. Remember that you can find all of our news headlines on intrafish.com. You can sign up for our newsletters there. Just click on the menu bar and you'll see all the different options there. We just added a new newsletter, a daily coronavirus newsletter with all the news that's happening, everything that we're writing on it. It's a little bit difficult to keep up sometimes. So uh, sign up for that daily newsletter and you can see uh, what stories on coronavirus we've done and, uh, and give yourself a little leg up on, on catching up quickly. And some exciting news on April 14th, Intrafish will be hosting its very first digital event. It will be at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 3 p.m. in the UK GMT, and 4 p.m. in Oslo, Bergen, Paris, GMT plus one. So join us for that. We're going to have Jan Tharp, the CEO of Bumblebee Seafoods. We will have Carlos Diaz, the CEO of Biomar, Andreas Kwame, the CEO of Grig Seafoods, and Stuart Caborn, who is the purchasing director for Nomad Foods, which is the parent of Birdseye and Igloo. Also be joined by DNB. Uh, I'll be giving a short presentation on the outlook for the seafood sector, uh, and we all could use a little bit of insight there. So you can go to our webpage, and you will see a, uh, a place where you can just very easily click. It's a free webinar, uh, so join us. 45-minute discussion. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it, and these are just um, fantastic people. I'm eager to pick their brain and, uh, and find out. Uh, what they think about everything that's happening and uh, and where uh, where they see the industry going as we move through this very, very strange time. Thanks, folks, for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week.